Hello, Podrishners. If you've been uh, part of the Podrishner ministry here uh, for any length of time, you might remember that about a year ago, uh, we did a survey, a demographic survey, and we want to make that an annual thing. It really helps us uh, to know kind of who is out there, who's downloading uh, the messages, uh, how they're using the resources. We're looking at expanding our ministry and looking at uh, ways we can better serve our Podrishners. And so we want to make this an annual thing, this survey that we're doing. So I'd like to ask you to please take just four or five minutes, that's all it would take, get on our website, whchurch.org, and fill out the survey that is there. Uh, we find that it is very helpful as we're moving forward uh, in our Podrishner ministry. Again, thanks for being part of our virtual congregation. It's an honor to serve you. Uh, keep us in prayer and keep on expanding the kingdom. God bless you. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And uh, it's really good to see you all here on this non-frigid Sunday. Hallelujah. Spring is in the air. Glory. It's really nice. Don't get your hopes up, though. It's only March. You know how things can go around here. We've got a few more whammies left, I'm afraid. But enjoy it while it's here. But I'm glad that you uh, took the time out to come and worship with God's people and and study his word. That's, that's just what we do here on the weekend. A few announcements, and then we will get into it. We are having a party here, huge party, March 27th, Friday. Be here, 7 o'clock. Kingdom is going to be playing, and Kingdom, well, it's called a Kingdom concert because everything we do, we want to be under the Kingdom. But also the band is called Kingdom, and this is Norm's R&B funk band. And uh, it, they, you guys, they rock the house. Uh, we've played with them before, and they're, they're really good. They're not as good, as I've said, as NDY, you know, my, my rock band, you know. They can't play Give Me Three Steps, but they, they, they do uh, Tower Power and, and, and uh, all sorts of real good dance music. So come and be a part of this party. We're raising money for it. We're asking for a donation of $10 per person or 20 for the family. If you can't afford that, come anyways. We just want to pack this house and really have a good time. You know that the kingdom is supposed to be a lot of fun, right? You know that, right? The kingdom, I mean, I mean the God's kingdom, but also the band kingdom. So come and let's have a lot of fun. We are in the book of Luke. Uh, this is the kingdom seminar training that we do here. This is really is not church. I know we talk like that. We're going to go to church, but really we are the church. And so what we do here is we just have kingdom training. Uh, biblical principles on living out the kingdom. And we're studying the book of Luke. Nothing fancy. We just go through the Bible. We're up to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to study a whole three verses here this morning. And I'm entitling this message, Return to Innocence. Because as you'll see, this is what the uh, three verses are all about. Luke 18, 15 through 17, and I'm reading from the TNIV TNIV version. It says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus. Uh, for him to place his hands on them. They wanted Jesus to bless their little babies. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, Abba, Father, Heavenly Dad, God, we ask that you would use this message to reduce us or grow us better to become infants. 
and our attitude towards you and towards others to become innocent infants. Uh, Jar us, wake us up, shock us. Help us to reframe our lives if necessary to surrender some of, the, some of our adulthood when we're acting like adults when we're supposed to be as little children. Grow us into infancy, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's infants said, amen. 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 Let's start by looking at a film clip. This is a, a, a video clip of my favorite band. It's, uh, not one, it's not my favorite. It's among my favorites, though. Enigma. Any of you guys like Enigma? Uh, they're, they're, kind of, they're, they're out there, but it's very cool stuff. And this is a video. Uh, it's called Return to Innocence. And so let's just watch it. Emotions 
that cool? Um, I, I, I just like the music, the way they combine melody with a heavy bottom uh, to it. I, I uh, really uh, enjoy, and have, over the last couple of years, really come to appreciate Native American singing, so from the heart. And uh, so I love that part about that video. Uh, most of all, though, I, I love the symbolism that they use, going back to the garden. And I admit that the Adam they chose was a rather strange-looking Adam. That's not how I ever envisioned Adam. The guy at the beginning looks like a French painter or something. But um, uh, the, the whole symbolism of reversing, getting back to a state of innocence, back to before the time when we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and learn how to live in our judgments and return to a, a state of innocence. That's what these verses we'll see here are all about. Now, it's always good to look at the context of a passage as you're studying it. Uh, very frequently, there's a reason why the author put an episode where he puts it. And in this case, I think it's, it's, it's rather clear why Luke records this episode right at this point in his gospel. It comes on the heels of what we studied last week with the Pharisee and the tax collector. We saw last week that the problem with the Pharisee is that he was confident in his own righteousness. That's all. To the point where he looked down on other people, people like the tax collector and robbers and other sinners. And the point we made last week, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to, to, to download it or get the CD. But the point was this, while society and governments and nations, of course, have to evaluate people and things in terms of virtue and vice and reward the virtue and punish the vice... And while society has all these different ways of evaluating and assessing people and things, we in the kingdom aren't to have our thinking defined by the broader society. Rather, our thinking is to be aligned with God. And we're to look at God and ourselves and the world through the lens of the cross. It's all we really know. And when we look at the world in, in, in the light of the cross, what we conclude is that we are all sinners who left to our own devices are hopeless, but we're all outrageously loved by an unfathomably beautiful God. And walking in that mode frees us from the entrapment of the prideful Pharisee. We saw last week that Jesus here kind of does a turnaround, and I tried to repeat that turnaround with us. Uh, namely, if, if, if we were in the same situation that the Pharisee was in in the first century, if we were living under an uh, oppressive, tyrannical enemy, Someone like Al-Qaeda. That's how they viewed the Romans in the first century. And we were dealing with an American who was a turncoat and who was now working for Al-Qaeda and was uh, threatening us and our children if we didn't pay, overpay the taxes that he was collecting. We probably would have had an attitude just like the Pharisee. We would have felt more righteous than this traitor. Uh, we would have possibly looked down on this traitor. And the point of that all is to catch us in our own Phariseeism, that there's a lot more Pharisee in us than, than maybe we'd like to acknowledge. And what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to enter the kingdom, you need to set aside all vestiges of the Pharisee attitude and take on the attitude of the tax collector who doesn't make any claim for himself, doesn't even feel he's worthy to go into the temple or raise his eyes towards heaven, but just... Praise the prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to say at the start that when Jesus talks about the kingdom, as we're going to, he's going to be doing throughout this, this message here, uh, he is not primarily thinking, in fact, the New Testament as a whole isn't primarily thinking about whether you're saved uh, in terms of what happens to you when you die. The kingdom has eternal ramifications. 
But the focus is on here and now, living under the reign of God now, entering into the life of God now, getting free of everything that bars people from the kingdom now. And so what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to enter into the kingdom, experience the kingdom, the love, joy, peace, and power, the wholeness of the kingdom, well, then you have to accept the attitude, embrace the attitude of the tax collector and put off the attitude of the Pharisee. Right after that now, Luke gives us this episode. And the reason is, I'm convinced, and I hope that you'll see this as we go through it, is that he's really making the same point here, just in a little bit of a different way. The episode says that people were bringing their babies, or very young toddlers, to Jesus. The Greek word brephos could mean an infant. In fact, it could go back even to before the time of birth. Uh, and it could go all the way up to a young toddler, probably before the age of talking, but, but it refers to a, a very, very young child. And that's why the TNIV version translates it one time as babies and another time as children. It really kind of refers to both, but it's very young children. And so these parents are bringing their children because they want Jesus to bless the children. But the disciples rebuke the parents and maybe even the children because they think Jesus is too important for these people. Now, that might seem a little harsh to us because we have a real kind of quaint, cute view of childhood. And celebrities are supposed to kiss little babies. You know, that's what politicians are for, right? To kiss little babies. Uh, And so you would think Jesus would want to kiss these little babies, and the disciples would know that. But in the ancient world, they didn't have this cute, quaint view of little children. Uh, Children were really viewed more as um, uh, adults in training, imperfect adults. And uh, while parents love their children, or were supposed to love their children, uh, they, they, they were not regarded uh, as important to the rest of society. And so the disciples here were really saying, look, at Jesus is an important person. He's, he's, he's the Messiah, and he's got a lot of work to do. And you kids don't bring anything to the table. You don't contribute anything to the table. And so don't be taking up all of his time and energy. Uh, We've got to move on to more important things. The disciples here are playing the, what we called last week, the social evaluation game. Sizing people up, evaluating people. They're really doing the exact same thing that the Pharisee was doing in the parable last week. The only difference is that the Pharisee was sizing people up in terms of holiness, his own private criteria of holiness. Well, the disciples are sizing people up in terms of their importance. Who's important, who's not important? Who's important enough to come to Jesus and who's too unimportant to come to Jesus? And so as Jesus did with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collectors, he, he, he does this uh, with the disciples here. He turns the table on them. And really what he says is, look, you guys, not only must you allow these children to come unto me, but in fact, they're your role models. You look up to these infants and little toddlers, because the kingdom is of people, is made of people, consists of people who are just like this. And in fact, you have to become like them if you're going to enter into the kingdom. Now, why are infants and toddlers held up as role models? What is it about them that makes them the role models for kingdom people? And the answer I submit to you is really obvious given the context of this teaching. Infants aren't acting like the Pharisee and aren't acting like the disciples, trying to assess people, trying to size people up. Infants don't try to decide who can and cannot come to Jesus, who's worthy or not worthy. Infants and young toddlers don't position themselves as, the, as Jesus' wise and morally superior advisors. 
Infants aren't playing the social evaluation game. They haven't yet learned to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Rather, little babies are much more like the tax collector. They don't make claims for themselves. They don't look down on others. They're free from the social evaluation game. They view God themselves and others with innocent hearts and innocent eyes. And to enter into the kingdom, Jesus is saying, we must become like that. We must become as little infants, young toddlers. We have to return to innocence. Now, there's three specific ways I want to suggest that we need to become like infants uh, and young toddlers. The first is this. Infants innocently and wholly trust their parents or the significant adults in their life. This is a picture of, of Sage, my granddaughter. And uh, I, you might suspect that I'm just using this as an excuse to show a proud grandpa showing forth his beautiful little kids. And there's probably a little truth in that. But I am going to make a point here. Uh, this, is, this is Sage uh, as a newborn, uh, the daughter of Tim and Alicia, and my daughter and son-in-law. And she just depends completely on them and trusts completely in them. She is just held. Uh, toddlers and young infants, they have a total dependency uh, on mom and dad, and all their security comes from mom and dad and the other adults in their life. They have a total trust that is there and a total confidence that things are okay as long as they're held. They don't know anything about the wars in the world. They don't know about the economy that's spiraling downward. They don't know about the bills that got to be paid. They don't know about the conflicts that go on behind closed doors. They don't know about the, 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 the difficulty at the workplace. All they know is that I'm the little child of my parents, and they love me, and I'm secure in that. And there's a trust that is there, a total trust. This is Sage when she grows up a little bit, and I'm, I'm holding her. And, uh, and she's just secure in that. She's just secure. If the adults are okay, then I'm okay. But see, we grow up, don't we? And as we grow up, we get socialized into the social evaluation game, and we learn how to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we lose our innocence and we learn rather quickly for some of us that parents can't always be trusted and we learn that uh, authorities in general can't always be trusted and we learn that people in general can't always be trusted and some people come to the conclusion that no one can be trusted. We lose our innocence and we become independent. We grow up. We see dependency as a sign of weakness and we isolate ourselves not wanting to be dependent on anybody else. And invariably, we bring some of that fallen world baggage to our relationship with God. And so despite maybe the accurate theology we have, if we're honest with ourselves, we sometimes have trouble trusting Abba Father. We have trouble trusting that God is as beautiful as he reveals himself to be in Jesus Christ, that God's love really is for free. And so on some level, we're always trying to earn it, to prove ourselves worthy of it. We have trouble believing that God is always good all the time. We may say that and we may cognitively believe that, but, but it's hard for us to, in our gut, trust that. We have trouble believing that he's involved in our life on a moment-by-moment -moment basis and that we can depend on him and rely on him. And he's always working to bring good even out of evil. We have trouble trusting Abba Father. And that lack of trust invariably undermines the freedom and the joy and the peace of our walk with God. Instead of trusting Abba Father in all things, and that things can turn out all right, however bad they may seem, we tend to shoulder the cares and the responsibility of the world. That's why we live often in anxiety and worry and fear about so many things. Instead of living our life like a trusting, free dance with Abba Father, 
We often live our life like we're working for a tyrannical employer, always trying to prove our worth. And when terrible things happen to us, sometimes some suspect that maybe it's God getting even with them. And all that evaluation, all those judgments, they're as anti-kingdom as can be. We've been socialized into the social evaluation, critical assessment game, and now we're applying it to God. We're really doing the very same thing they did in the Garden of Eden. When when humanity first embraced an untrustworthy picture of God. And to the degree that we embrace this untrustworthy picture of our dad, it sucks the joy and the peace and the power and the freedom and the wholeness of the kingdom right out of our life. And so Jesus says to his disciples, and he's saying to us here this morning, or whenever it is that you're listening to this, through a podcast or any other means, he says, to receive the kingdom, we must return to innocence. You must become like a little infant. To experience the kingdom, we have to return to an infant's trust in Abba Father and become wholly dependent on Abba Father. The question is this. Can we look at our Heavenly Father the way Sage looks at uh, her parents as a little infant? In fact, Dan, could you put that picture up there? I just want to give us a visual. To have this total trust. You're held. Right now, you're held. Can you become totally dependent on him? Because you are totally dependent on him. He is holding you in existence the way the chair on the floor is holding you uh, up from falling. Uh, One of the uh, exercises you'll be learning when we go through this animate thing is to let the the weight of your body against the floor or a chair remind you of of how God is sustaining you. Right now, you're, you're dependent on him. You're in his arms. You're in his hands. He's given you the next breath. He's given you the next thought. Uh, he, he's given you life. He holds you in existence. You're totally dependent on him. Can you, can you release uh, your, your adult independence and become totally reliant on him and have a total trust, an infantile trust in Abba Father? Can we allow the Spirit of God to do brain surgery on us, to reduce us to, to infants and delete all of our mistrusting judgments of God? This is what Jesus is getting at, I'm convinced, when he tells the folks, he says, don't worry. Trust God. Don't worry. It seems so naive, doesn't it? It seems infantile. Don't worry. Trust God. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. No, no, no. Be carefree like the birds of the air, like the, like, like, like the, the flowers on the ground. God takes care of them. Don't worry about it. Now, he's talking to people, remember, who, who are under the equivalent of Al-Qaeda. Life isn't pleasant for these folks. They get rounded up killed all the time. Don't worry. Your dad's kids. Trust him. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things are going to be added unto you. This infantile trust. Of course, we as adults, those of us who are adults, we have to work for a living, and we've got people who are dependent on us, and we've got responsibilities, and and God knows that. Jesus knows that, of course. But see, if we we carry out our responsibilities with uh, a trusting in Abba Father, and a a total trust in His character, and a total sense of dependence on him, we can carry the loads we're called to carry, but we can do it with a sense of joy and a sense of peace and a sense of freedom. Do what we need to do. Yes, by all means. The Bible says that. But do it trusting God, depending on God, relying on God. Whatever happens, he promises somehow, some way, it will be okay in the end. You don't have to know how he's going to do, do that. Sage doesn't know how things are going to be okay. But we are, as infants and toddlers, to trust that, in fact, in the end, things will be okay, however bad they are right now. And if we get this, if we really get this, 
It just changes everything. I mean, for one thing, for one thing, maybe we'll be a little, little less serious. Uh, we get so serious, don't we? If you, we're too doggone serious. Lighten up. The pastor's saying, lighten up. You know, people, we take this burden on and it's always so heavy and we perseverate and focus on things and, 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 and carry the weight all the time and we think we're so important and it's our job to fix people and to fix the world. That's what adults do. We're responsible. And yes, God wants to use you to further his kingdom and he'll give you a share of the responsibility, but return to the innocence of an infant who just looks at Abba Father and has a sense of dependency and trust. And when you get that, there's a load that gets lifted off of you. Lighten up a little bit. Become like an infant. Laugh a little bit more. Don't take yourself so seriously. You're not that important. Uh, Lighten up, laugh a little more, screw around a little more, play a little bit more, have a little bit more fun. You know, it, it's, we're manifesting the kingdom when we're having fun. Come to the kingdom party and, and, and have fun. Yes, there's a lot of problems in the world. Yes, there's a lot of misery in the world. Yeah, you're not going to fix it on Friday night. Come to the party. Have fun. Carve out space for yourself. Kick it back a little bit. Really. Be kids. Get in touch with that inner child and, 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 and have fun. I'm not saying be irresponsible, no. But I am say, saying be, be carefree responsible. Uh, you're not God. God is. You're not the Savior of the world. The Savior is. And so some people just got to say, God, I trust you for this messed up world that somehow you're going to get the victory. You do the little bit that God gives you and you leave the rest. And sleep better at night. And have some fun and laugh a little bit. Just as infants trust their parents completely and depend on their parents completely, we're to trust Abba Father uh, completely. Secondly, infants derive, and this is so important here, folks, they derive their whole identity from their parents. Here's me looking into soul, my grandson's soul's um, eyes. He's, uh, by the way, if you go on YouTube, you can find him doing an incredible little two-year-old drum solo. Just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> the world's fastest two-year-old drummer, you'd be amazed. Okay, look at it. What grown-ups do to kids, the significant adults in their life, is you confer an identity on kids by how you look at them. When you look into their eyes, when you smile at them, when you take time to interact with them, you play with them, you are communicating to a child what they're worth, what their value is. This is uh, my daughter Alicia and Sage growing up a little bit here. You're, 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 You're bequeathing to them their identity. They don't know what they're worth. They don't know their identity. They don't know anything. The adult's job is to tell them by how you look into them and, and how you treat them, how you play with them, that you are worth, uh, you have unsurpassable worth, and, and you're precious, and, and they inherit an identity from you. The job of, of the parent and the adults in, in children's lives is to mirror something about what God is like. This is my daughter, Danae, and, and, and Soul. And, and they, they end up reflecting what you are giving them. Smile returns with a smile. And the job is to mirror God's attitude towards them so that when they get to a, a, the right age, they can begin to transfer that over to God. And little kids trust what their parents think about them. Uh, this is why uh, healthy kids who have internalized a sense of identity and worth and significance, they live life carefree. They don't live their life worrying about what someone's going to think about them. Uh, they, 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 they just are themselves. This is, this is Soul again at an Elmo concert. Uh, he loves Elmo and Sesame Street. And he just decided to, you know, break out of the crowd and go up front and start dancing. And he just was in the moment having all sorts of fun, kicking it back. Uh, he didn't care what people think because he knows his worth. He knows his identity. He just is out there to have fun. He believes what parents say about him. 
Here's him doing his Thomas the train dance. He just goes crazy. Thomas, you're the one. Thomas, you're the leader. Thomas is this train deal that he's, he's really into. Infants and little toddlers, they don't think about, reflect on their worth. They just know it and they just live it. But see, then we grow up, don't we? We grow up and somewhere along the line, we get socialized into the evaluation game and we learn how to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we lose our innocence. And somewhere along the line, we learn that we have to, in fact, achieve our identity and we have to earn our worth and we have to accomplish our significance. And sooner or later, we learn that what others think about us is supremely important. And so we learn how to compulsively evaluate ourselves. Uh, the, the social evaluation game becomes a tape recorder in our head. And so we congratulate ourselves when we're doing well, but we also condemn ourselves when we're doing bad. What's happened is we've got the accuser of the brethren stuck inside of our head now. And we lose our innocence. We're really repeating the, the rebellion in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve first learned that they were naked, and they first learned how to have shame and condemnation. And so we live with the accuser in our head, and it sucks the joy and the peace and the power and the wholeness of the kingdom right out of us. And so Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, experience the kingdom, be transformed by the kingdom, you have to become innocent. Become like little toddlers, become like little infants, and trust your Abba Father for your whole identity. The question is, can we learn to trust what God says about us on Calvary the way Sage trusts that what Tim and Alicia say about her is true? Can we learn to depend and, and, uh, on, on God's voice and give it more credibility than any other voice in our life? Can we make God the sole source, the singular source of our worth and our identity and our security and how we value ourselves? Can we let the Holy Spirit do a brain surgery on us to reduce us to an infant level and delete the accuser in our head? Can we get to the point where Paul was at? When Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I don't care how people judge me or what any human court says. Heck, I don't even judge myself. This is a guy who's, who's, who's gotten free of the accuser. He, he, he's a man who trusts, who, who so understands that the only judge of the earth is God that he doesn't even judge himself. The, the accuser's completely out of his brain. Can we get to the point where John was, was articulating when he says this in, 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 in 1 John 3.20, he says, if our hearts condemn us, I love this verse, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Everyone say that God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our hearts. What he's saying is, we've got to give Abba Father more credibility than our own brains, than our own hearts. What you feel about yourself isn't very important. What you think about yourself isn't very important. You know why? Because you're screwed up. You're damaged goods, man, like the rest of us. Who's going to believe you? You can't believe you. No, if you want to know what you're worth and what your value is, what your identity is and where your security is, you go to God, the creator. He's the only one who knows. And he tells you what he thinks about you on Calvary. There it is right there. You were worth God dying for. And that's all you need to know. Amen. And so it really comes down to this. You know, when, when Abba Father says that you were worth Jesus dying for, can you, like an innocent child who doesn't know anything else, just believe him? Uh, regardless of what your adult brain might think and adult heart may feel, can you just believe him? When he says, you are my precious child, can you innocently and naively believe him? When he says, I put my spirit inside of you, can you innocently and naively uh, believe him? When he says, I love you with an everlasting love, I will never leave you or forsake you, can you innocently and naively, like a little toddler, just believe him, just believe what he says? 
when, when he tells you that, that he, you ravish his heart and that you're holy and blameless and you're seated with Christ in heavenly places far above the principalities and powers. And when he tells you you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. When he tells you he's filled you with his love and he's filled you with his joy and he's filled you with his peace. When he tells you that, that you've got an eternal inheritance uh, because you're one of his kids. When he tells you he delights in you and sings over you and claps his hands over you because he is your father and you are his child. Can you just innocently and naively accept that as being true? Regardless of what your adult brain may say or what your adult heart may feel, can you just trust Abba Father, the one who knows you best? No ifs, ands, or buts. Accept that. Receive that. Can you return to innocence before you got so smart? Return to innocence before... You learn to acquire your identity. Return to innocence before you got the chatter going in your brain. Return to innocence before you got the accuser running amok inside your head. Return to innocence before you heard the voice that told you that you were naked and should be ashamed of that. Return to innocence. And see, when we get this, when we really get this, when we really get it, not just intellectually, but, 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 but experientially, and it gets on the inside, it changes everything. When we can just get the accuser out of our head. The Holy Spirit does like a lobotomy on us. It gets, gets the accuser out of our head. And we learn how to, how to not conform to the social evaluation game. It changes everything. Because now you're free. Every aspect of our bondage is because we're enmeshed in this knowledge of good and evil thing. That's why it's the original sin of the Bible. All the evaluation, all the constraints, all that social stuff, it just binds us. It just kills life. It sucks life out of us. It keeps us from being playful and innocent. And when we can shut that up and get free of that, you're free. Now you can sing and, and you don't care who's listening. And now you can dance and you don't care who's watching. You know, now you can be as odd as God created you to be and, and you're okay with that. Now you can worship and you don't care what the person next to you is, is how, how they're evaluating you. Now you are free. Now, now, and only now, you're to the part, part where, the point where, where, where you can do what God calls you to do, and you're not caring about the consequences. When you really internalize your identity uh, on the voice of God, when, when, when what God thinks about you is the only thing that matters, and what mom thought about you, what dad thought about you, what the ex-husband thought about you, what the boy on the bus who teased you thought about you, uh, what, what the bad experiences you've been through uh, communicate about you, what uh, the media says about you, when, that, when you can shut that stuff up, that's all just that knowledge of good and evil junk. And you just, like, like sage, look into the eyes of Abba Father and let him say over and over again, you are my child. I love you with an everlasting love. That, folks, is freedom. And the third area... Amen. The third area is that infants, because they know who they are and they know who Abba Father is, they don't look down on others. We adults do. They don't. Here's, uh, here's my grandson, Soul, again. Uh, he, he, he just lives in a really cool, diverse world. And, and he, he doesn't notice whether the kid is white or black or red or brown. Or, he just plays with them. Uh, he, hasn't, he hasn't learned. He's innocent. Doesn't evaluate people according to the color of their skin. Doesn't evaluate people according to their social class. Hasn't learned to evaluate people according to their opinions about things. He just, he just lives. And, uh, and see, infants and young toddlers, they haven't yet divided up the world and fragmented humanity and, and haven't yet learned the, the us-them thing. Now, they get that really quickly, don't they? Uh, it doesn't take very long in this world before they start doing that. But, but when they're very, very young, they don't. They haven't yet learned to be afraid of people. And if they do learn it, they're getting it from the adults in their life. 
See, we grow up. We grow up and we get socialized into the evaluation game. And we learn how to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we lose our innocence. And so we habitually and instinctively file people into categories and habitually and instinctively get into our tribal thinking, our us-them mindset, and divide the world up between the good and the bad, and we're always on the side of the good and the right and the wrong, and we're usually on the side of the right. And we learn how to get our sense of worth and significance by the category that we get filed in as opposed to the other person getting filed in. We become like the Pharisee in the last parable, or we become like the disciples in this story where we're evaluating things. And this is as anti-kingdom as anything can be. I know that a great deal of the Christian religion preaches just this categorization, and you do it in Jesus' name. But I'm here to tell you that that is anti-kingdom thinking. That's eating of the, 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 the forbidden tree. That's, that's the original sin sometimes being preached as though it was salvation. The kingdom is about collapsing all that. We're really repeating the rebellion in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve first learned to accuse each other and to blame one another. And it sucks the love and it sucks the joy of the kingdom right out of us. Every judgment we have, however socially understandable and even justifiable it may be, because this is what society has to do, but how every judgment we have blocks, it corks the flow of the outrageous love of God into us and through us. And we do it so habitually. It bars us from the kingdom. It keeps us from entering into the fullness and abundant life that Jesus came to give us. To return, uh, to, to enter the kingdom, Jesus says to his disciples and says to us, you must become innocent again. You have to become, if you will, as stupid as a little infant, as know-nothing as a little infant, uh, as, as a little toddler, as innocent as this child. To experience the kingdom, we have to have an infant's freedom from the categories, from the files that we put people in. We have to have the, an infant's freedom from the evaluation game. Such that everything, the only thing we know about others is what Abba Father tells us. See, kids will take their cues about other people from their parents or their significant adults in their life. And if the, if the significant adult all of a sudden shows fear, well, the kid will learn fear. We're to take all of our cues from Abba Father. What does he think about other people? And uh, he tells us what he thinks about other people on Calvary, which is the same place where he tells us about himself and the same place he tells us about us. And what we know, and the only thing we really know, is that other people, all other people, every person you'll ever meet was worth Jesus dying for because he died for them, praying for their forgiveness. And so our job as kingdom people is to be these innocent, naive infants who simply believe that that is true. We believe it's true regardless of what we see. We believe it's true regardless of what else we might experience. Society, of course, has to evaluate and judge, rewarding virtue and punishing vice. Uh, society, nations, governments, they, they have to do that kind of thing. But our thinking isn't to be conformed to that. And Paul says, don't be conformed to the, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of our mind is to be on this innocence, knowing that every person we see uh, has got Calvary value to them, a Calvary price tag, if you will, attached to them. So society may have to, in fact, does have to put the murderer behind bars, uh, of course, but our thinking isn't to be determined by that. No, uh, yes, society will see him as, as being much, much worse than the non-murderer. But our job, our job is to simply agree with Abba Father that this guy was worth dying for. In fact, we're all sinners who are loved with uh, outrageous love by unfathomably beautiful God. That's all we know. And so we're to be the one silly people on the planet who pray for the guy, who bless the guy, who pray for his forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus prayed for our forgiveness and died for our forgiveness. That's all we know. 
I, I got an email yesterday from a man who was uh, high school friends and for the last 15 years has been friends, not close friends, but friends, acquaintances of this man in Texas who killed those 10 people a couple days ago and is sending him through a head trip as you could easily understand. And, uh, you know, he was rubbing up against uh, some, some real evil. And uh, my word to him was this, and it's our word to all of us, is that to stay clean of evil, to not partake of it, to not give the enemy a foothold, you've got to love like God loves. And the best thing you can do, there's all sorts of anger and judgments that, that you fall into, and you understand that this is outrageously bad. But the only way to stay free from evil is to bless the people who are victims of it. And, 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 and so you pray for this, this person and tur- you know, just turn the love faucet because you've got a, a, a wellspring of, of that inside of you. And, and uh, yes, society will judge and hate this man got that. And, and, and you pray for the victims and, and you can understand why uh, people would be, you know, have these judgments. But we're to be the people who we ourselves have been forgiven an infinite debt. So we forgive and we pray blessing on him and, and, and we reflect his unsurpassable worth by how we think about him and by how we speak about him and if the opportunity arises by how we speak to him and interact with him. And so I encourage this man, if ever you're going to be a friend to this guy, this would be the time to do it because he needs a friend right now. And maybe this is an opportunity for the kingdom uh, to really open up there. Society may put the murder behind bars. It must, but our job is simply to say they have unsurpassable worth. And there's a lot of people that hate Madoff right now. And if you just lost all your retirement because of Madoff's scheme, you're probably pretty angry at him right now too. And that's fine. Uh, but the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on that, uh, that wrath. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get tangled in that kind of cynicism. No, you know what? Jesus died for Madoff. And as an innocent child, you're supposed to just believe what, what, what dad says about him. And dad will take care of you. And so, so, so you, you pray for him and, and, and bless him. And agree with God that he has unsurpassable worth. And the pedophile has unsurpassable worth. And the terrorist has unsurpassable worth. Society has to protect people from folks like this. But our job is to not be conformed to society. But to be the one silly-looking, foolish people who love these folks, who bless these folks, who pray for these folks, pray for their forgiveness, who think they have unsurpassable worth. Why? Because the one who created us says so. And we just naively, foolishly believe him. Because he's really the only one who knows. And we trust that assessment. Can we return to the state of innocence and become like an infant before we learned how to find dust particles in people's eyes? and overlook the two-by-four in our own? Can we return to the state of innocence where we, uh, before we learned how, how to divide up the world and how to rank the world and how to file the world, before we learned how to get life from our presumed superiority, before we became so doggone smart and having all the right ideas to fix the world? This is challenging for a lot of people. It's challenging for all of us because we live in a fallen world that has to do this. It has to evaluate. It has to protect. Yes, it has to do that. That's what societies, nations, and governments do. Got that. And living in that kind of world, it's easy to internalize that. And in fact, it's really challenging because we have to ourselves make all sorts of discernments. Do I trust this person or not? Do I want this person to babysit my kids or not? You've got to make some discernment there. Well, what would, does this look like the kind of person I would buy a car from? Um, is this the kind of person that I would like to hang out with in my spare time? Those are all assessments we make, and we've got to make those. But see, those aren't judgments until we go a step further and now get life from being above them or apart from them. We distinguish things, never people. Can we, in the midst of this, in the midst of making these decisions and assessments, return to this innocence and affirm the unsurpassable worth of the person? Even if we don't trust them, they still have unsurpassable worth. 
Even if we wouldn't let them babysit, they still have unsurpassable worth. Maybe you wouldn't buy a car from them. They still have unsurpassable worth. Maybe they threaten your life. They still have unsurpassable worth. And can you agree with Abba Father about all these folks? Maybe you don't want to hang out with them. Maybe they're just not your kind of people. Maybe they drive you crazy. That's okay. A lot of people drive you crazy. It's all right to think that. Don't feel guilty about that. To love everybody isn't when you're supposed to like their personalities. No. But you, as an infant, innocent child, distinguish that stuff from their worth. And their worth is decided on Calvary. I agree with Abba Father about that. And when we get this, when we really get this, man, it's so freeing. It's so freeing. When we grow up and become infants, when we grow into, and just naively, just naively love people, when, when, when we get this, now and only now, you are free to love others the way Christ loves you. Now you can uncork that geyser inside of you of this profound love. And, and it, it, it's, it, it's, the, it's the essence of fullness of life. It's the essence of joy. To be able to shut off the accuser in our brain, the evaluator, that judgment mechanism, the gossip that's going on, and simply bless people. Agree with God about every person you're seeing, that they have unsurpassable worth. Say a little prayer for them. Uh, it's so freeing. Most of the gossip in our brain about other people is because we think we're fixers. We're trying to fix them. Oh, if only they did this, if only this, if only this. Like, we ourselves are God. Like, we're the right judge of taste and, and whatever. We're trying to fix the world. We're, we're, we're playing the, we're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that takes a lot of energy and it's total bondage. Every one of those thoughts blocks the flow of love. When we can realize that we're just innocents, that, that, that return to our innocence and realize that, that we're just infants and depend on God's judgment. He'll, he'll take care, he'll solve the score. We can trust him to do that. And we don't have to run the world. We have to carry the burden of the world. We can trust Abba Father to do that. Our job is just to bless and to love. And when we develop relationships with people and they invite us in to help them grow and we invite them in to help them grow, then we maybe go uh, elsewhere and, and, and point out things we discern for them. But otherwise, from the murderer to the grouchy neighbor to the in-law, whatever, you just bless. The person cuts you off on the street, you just bless. Abba Father, you died. You sent Jesus to die for them. I agree with you. So you, you may be sitting here or, or hearing this in some other venue and, and thinking to yourself, this sounds like a prescription for irresponsibility. I'm not preaching irresponsibility. I'm, I'm preaching carefree responsibility where we trust Abba Father. But it may be that if you sense that you know, it's the job of Christians to fix the world because we are the righteous ones, right? Uh, it's our job to point out these problems. You know, God needs fixers like us. Ask yourself the question, how, how, how far has that gotten us so far? <laughs> yeah, remind yourself of this. I mean, it's just possible that, that you're being too adult uh, and, and in, in, in an area where you need to become like an infant. Uh, maybe you, you think you know more than you actually know. And remind yourself of this fact, that most of the pain in the world is caused by people who are thinking just like that. I'll fix the world. It goes on and on and on and on. How, how wonderful would it be? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were all just infants trusting Abba Father? Uh, I don't think we'd have nearly the problems of the world. And our job is to manifest that. Here's a different way of doing life. We, we just bless and, 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 and love folks and walk in this silly, it's really silly, silly naivete. Um, and, and believe the best, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and hope for the best. And God uses that to build his kingdom. And when the kingdom finally comes... It will be composed, comprised of people such as this. Innocent little children who simply trust Abba Father about what you say about me, about what you say about yourself, 
about what you say about every other person. I, I'm just not smart enough to figure out any other way. You know, I, I, I think you're smarter than me, God, and so I'm going to trust you. And Calvary is where you gave your definitive answer. I'm going to send us off in this prayer. I, I, we're, we're, remember, this is a seminar. You, you didn't go to church this morning. You are the church. Uh, uh, what we're doing here is a seminar training. And so it will have value only if uh, it, it's applied. How you feel about the message right now doesn't make a bit of difference. Um, whether you think it's profound or stupid, doesn't matter. What matters is what you'll be doing with this material five minutes from now out in the gathering area. And what, what you'll be doing with this material when you're driving home and the person cuts you off. And what you'll be doing with this material when the neighbor uh, throws a rock through your window or whatever. Uh, it, it has to get on the inside or it's worthless. And so we have these assignment sheets uh, that we're encouraging people to pick up out at the hub. And to begin to do these spiritual exercises. And they're just simple questions, but to remind you. Put them on your refrigerator. To remind you to, to be engaging on this stuff and internalizing this. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward. And if you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and, and receive some prayer. If you're not a kingdom person, you've never submitted your life to Christ, I encourage you to do that now. Let's come up here and talk to these folks. And they'd love to usher you into the kingdom. I pray with this benediction. May the innocence of God Almighty be on us, reducing us to infants as we leave this place. Holy Spirit, will you remind us to let go of the categories, the evaluation, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and help us to walk innocent, just trusting you, believing you are who you say you are, believing we are who you say you are, believing every other person is who you say they are, and to walk in that and to know nothing else, because we are infants. In Jesus' name. And all the infants said, Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and be infantile.